Welcome back, rock stars. I'm glad that you're here. Today's episode is talking about narcissism, how it affects us, and how we might be able to apply those DVT skills if you're faced with a narcissist. So what does the DSM-5 say about narcissism? There is a criteria set of nine different traits to look for. Now, don't use this to go diagnose people. This is more to help you understand uh, the toxic narcissistic person that maybe you have dealt with, or it's to help you understand when you might meet somebody who's narcissistic. You'll kind of remember this criteria and you'll think, oh, okay, this person could be a narcissist. They're narcissistic. So let me back up. Um, So number one, grandiosity with expectations of superior treatment from other people. Number two, they are fixated on fantasies of power, success, intelligence, and attractiveness. Number three, their self-perception of being unique, superior, and and associated with high-status people and institutions. Number four, they need continual admiration and praise from other people. Number five, They have a sense of entitlement to special treatment and to obedience from other people. Number six, they are exploitative of others to achieve personal gain. Number seven, they are unwilling to empathize with the feelings, wishes, and needs of other people. Number eight, they are intensely envious of others and the belief that others are equally envious of them. And number nine, They are pompous and arrogant. So I've pulled some information from a couple of books from the book Cognitive Therapy of Personality Disorders by Beck, um, Disorders of Personality by Millen, and Identifying Pathways Linked to Child Abuse and Psychological Outcome by Moore and Silvern. And last but not least, The Dark Triad of Personality by Paulus and Williams. So Millen says in his book, where narcissists, Were narcissists able to respect others, allow themselves to value others' opinion, or see the world through others' eyes, their tendency toward illusion and unreality might be checked or curtailed. Unfortunately, narcissists have learned to devalue others, not to trust their judgments, and to think of them as naive and simple-minded. Thus, rather than question the correctness of their own beliefs, they assume that the views of others are at fault. The more disagreement they have with others, the more convinced they are of their own superiority, and the more isolated and alienated they are likely to become. From Kernberg, these patients present an unusual degree of self-reference in their interactions with other people, a great need to be loved and admired by others, and a curious apparent contradiction between a very inflated concept of themselves and an inordinate need for tribute and praise from others. From Beck, Another conditional assumption of power is the belief of exemption from normal rules and laws, even the laws of science and nature. From Millen, there's also a tendency for them to flout conventional rules of shared social living, viewing reciprocal social responsibilities as being inapplicable to themselves. 
They show and act in a manner that indicates a disregard for matters of personal integrity and an indifference to the rights of others. Narcissists are neither disposed to stick to objective facts or to restrict their actions within the boundaries of social custom or cooperative living. Free to wander in their private world of fiction, narcissists lose touch with reality, lose their sense of proportion, and begin to think along peculiar and deviant lines. Rarely physically abusive, anger among narcissists usually takes the form of oral vituperation and argumentativeness. This may be seen in a flow of irrational and caustic comments in which others are upbraided and denounced as stupid and beneath contempt. These onslaughts usually have little objective justification. They are often colored by delusion and may be directed in a wild hit-or-miss fashion in which the narcissist will lash out at those who have failed to acknowledge the exalted status in which he or she demands to be seen. Under conditions of unrelieved adversity and failure, narcissists decompensate into paranoid disorders. Owing to their excessive use of fantasy mechanisms, they are disposed to misinterpret events and construct delusional beliefs. Unwilling to accept constraints on their independence and unable to accept the viewpoints of others, narcissists may isolate themselves from the corrective effects of shared thinking. Alone, they may ruminate and weave their beliefs into a network of fanciful and totally invalid suspicions. Among narcissists, delusions often take the form of, of a serious challenge or a setback that has upset their image of superiority. They tend to exhibit compensatory grandiosity and jealousy delusions in which they reconstruct reality to match the image they are unable or unwilling to give up. Delusional systems may also develop as the result of having felt betrayed and humiliated. Here we see the rapid unfolding of the delusions and arrogant grandiosity characterized by verbal attacks and bombast. Deficient in social controls and self-discipline, the tendency of the narcissist to fantasize and distort may speed up. The air of grandiosity may become more flagrant. They may find hidden and silly meanings in incidental behaviors of others, becoming convinced of others' malicious motives, claims upon them, and attempts to undo them. As their behaviors and thoughts transgress the line of reality, their alienation will mount and they may seek to protect their phantom image of superiority more vigorously and vigilantly than ever. No longer in touch with reality, they begin, they begin to accuse others and hold them responsible for their own shame and failures. They may build a logic based on irrelevant and entirely circumstantial evidence and ultimately construct a delusion system to prevent themselves from unbearable reality. They become very um, paranoid. They begin to feel like everybody is against them. Um, failure to be superior or regarded as as special will activate underlying beliefs of inferiority, unimportance, or powerlessness, and they'll compensate with strategies of self-protection and self-defense. 
the narcissist remains firmly rooted in the importance of flawless or powerful image. Without a flawless image, core beliefs and inferiority become activated. That's when they begin to disintegrate and they can't stand that. That's their worst nightmare. The core belief of narcissistic personality disorder is one of the one of inferiority and unimportance. This belief is only activated under certain cir circumstances and may be observed mainly in the response to conditions of self-esteem threat. The manifest belief is a compensatory attitude of superiority. So they compensate their feelings of inadequacy and inferiority by acting like they're superior to everybody. And Beck says, out of their vehement certainty of judgment, boundary violations of all sorts will occur, as narcissists are quite comfortable taking control and dictating others, but quite uncomfortable accepting influence on themselves from others. And another conditional assumption of power is the belief of exemption from normal rules and laws. The patient with narcissistic personality disorder often has a low tolerance for frustration and expects not only to have wishes easily gratified, but also to remain in a steady state of positive reinforcement. Conditional assumptions may include the notions that if I want something, it is extremely important that I get it, and I should feel happy and comfortable at all times. If I am not happy, nobody else should be happy. So this is from the DSM-5 and the books discussed to give you a clinical view of the narcissistic person. And here are some more traits that you might be able to relate with, you, you have maybe observed. So a lot, more often than not, a lot of narcissists have an addiction issue. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, they could be addicted to porn, they could be addicted to shopping, gambling, and they are most definitely addicted to the chase, the chase, the beginning of a relationship where it's romantic, it's exciting, the sex is great, they're love bombing you, they're luring you in, they're grooming you to become their source of supply. They love that stage. That's fun for them. And that's when they receive the most praise and adoration from you. Um, so if you meet somebody who's narcissistic and they want to date you, you could date them for the first couple of months while it's fun and they're love bombing you and then drop them if you wanted to just to have fun. Um, otherwise, run. Stay away because oftentimes uh, narcissists will get people hooked on them and you feel like it's the greatest thing that has ever happened to you and you won't be able to cut that relationship off and then you'll get caught up in it. So they, um, they often have an addiction, more often than not, some sort of an addiction. When they're addicted to porn, they'll engage in uh, masturbation to porn in lieu of having sex with you. So... In the beginning, they'll have sex with you all the time and they'll say how fantastic it is and they've never had such a great time with anybody in the bedroom before and you're so amazing and so sexy and erotic and all these things. And then out of the blue, they're not having sex with you anymore. They're in the bathroom using porn 
And when you mention it, they freak out and get mad at you. They won't admit to what they're doing. You might um, somehow crack the code on their phone and get in there and see what they've been doing. You can confront them with evidence in front of their eyes and they'll still try to deny it. Once they realize they can't deny it anymore, they'll blame you. They'll tell you it's your fault because you never initiate anymore. Or, you know, after they make you feel awkward for touching their arm or trying to get a hug, then they'll blame you for the fact that you don't have sex anymore because you don't sleep in the bed with them anymore or you don't approach them anymore. And honestly, it's because you're sick of being rejected, so you give up. But it is a huge slap in the face when you find out that they're engaging in pornography rather than engaging you. And that that's the same with all of the addictions. Um, you're going to notice money missing. You're going to notice um, empty alcohol bottles in their trunk of their car and their in their work bag, in their, in their garage, all over the place. And they'll deny drinking as much as they drink, which is typical with alcoholics. I'm not an alcoholic. Yes, you are, buddy. You're dying. <laughs> Your liver is screaming. It's about to take a vacation from you. Um, but they, whatever their addiction is, they will try to hide it. They'll lie about it. And even if you have irrefutable evidence in their face saying, hey, this is this is real, this is what's happening, you need to face it. Um, they'll blame you when they get to that point. They'll blame you somehow. It's your fault they drink. It's your fault you're not having sex anymore. It's your fault they gamble. It's your fault uh, they're searching for a new relationship. It's all your fault, you bad, bad person. Um, their backstory always includes victim or hero. The narcissist is always the victim or the hero. Most of the time it's the victim. All of their exes were crazy. All of their friends from the past stole everything from them and ripped them off. Um, if they lost a home or a business or anything like that, it's somebody else's fault. Somebody talked them into it. Somebody made them do it. They have fake religion and fake spirituality. They'll claim to be a Catholic, a Christian, a Jew, a Baptist, um, Buddhist. They'll claim they're, you know, I was raised in this religion and I'm an expert in it. And oh yeah, and they have, they have Mary statues or Buddha statues all over their house and um, all this Zen decor or all this Catholic decor or uh, the, the Star of David and and uh, a yarmulke, all this different stuff, right? Yet you never see them go to church. You never see them hang out with other people who are spiritual or religious. And when you try to engage them in a prayer with you or let's meditate together, they mock you. They laugh at you. They mock you. And they... they they say things that you would consider to be very blasphemous. And you're looking at them like, whoa, holy cow. You are not who you said you were in terms of religion and spirituality. Um, you cannot have a productive conversation with these people. You cannot. You'll find yourself explaining basic etiquette of conversation to them. And they're a grown up. And... At that point, when you feel the need to explain the etiquette of conversation to a, to a grown-up, 
it's time to close your mouth, realize you're in a losing battle. This is a this is a fight you can't win. Just get up and leave. Don't don't bother. Don't even bother. Um, if you call them out on their behaviors, they will instantly get defensive. They will boomerang the bling back at you, just like the sex, the addiction. It's your fault somehow. Um, they will look at you and they'll say something like, "How dare you come at me with all this negativity?" Or you're you feel that way because of your past, because of what you've been through. It's not my fault you you feel that way. Um, and then finally, they deny the behavior completely, and they accuse you of just making shit up just just to make stuff up. I'm making things up just to stir up some drama because I'm bored, which is um, the narcissist projecting what they do onto you because that's exactly what they do. Um, they never apologize, and if they do, it will sound something like, uh, well, I'm sorry you choose to be upset or sorry you feel that way. And that's about the best you're going to get if you ever hear the words, I'm sorry, escape their lips. That's the best you'll get. They're serial cheaters. They will cheat on you. Anybody who will allow them to jump down their pants, they're in. They're in. They're going to do it because once they jump down that person's pants, that person is being love bombed by them too. And that person is giving them all that praise and adoration that you gave them in the beginning. And you're probably in a discard phase at this point. So once you hit the discard phase, they start cheating. Uh, some of them do it before you hit the discard phase because who doesn't want to feel good all the time everywhere. So they'll have somebody at work. They'll have you at home. They'll have you know, somebody else in another group, they'll, they'll have their backups all over the place. Um, the gaslighting, I'm sure you've heard the term gaslighting. I've talked about it previously. Um, gaslighting can take, take form in, in, in many different ways. So, uh, let's say in the beginning of the relationship, they were extremely responsive to any text or phone call. Or your social media account. They were liking all your photos. They were telling you how hot you were. All that stuff. And now they don't respond ever to any of your texts or phone calls. When you call them out on it, they say, well, I'm not allowed to be on my phone when I'm at work. Or they say, well, my phone died. Or my phone was accidentally on airplane mode. I don't know how that happened. Or um, my phone fell under the seat of my car and I thought I lost it for three hours until I found it. They always have an excuse. There's always some stupid reason why they can't respond to you, even though you see them on their phone constantly to the point where they have to charge their phone five or six times a day. They are on their phone constantly. They are responding to everyone, even uh, telemarketers and people they don't know. They're responding to everybody, but they won't respond to you. Call them out on it. It's somehow your fault for being too needy or for expecting them to get in trouble at work when you know damn well they're texting other people while they're at work because they'll come home and tell you, I got a text from so-and-so and I talked to them about this and that at two o'clock or at 11 o'clock so-and-so called me and I talked to them for a minute and then I had to get back to work and then you say something like, oh, but I thought you couldn't use your phone at work. And they say, well, it was just for a minute when I was on break. So, yeah. And then you say, but you can't respond to me when you're on break. And then they get mad at you and storm off. Um, they'll deny saying and doing things that you saw them say and do. 
You know, they might say something like, uh, oh, yeah, this this lady, she is so hot. She works in the office at my work, and uh, her car wouldn't start, so I jumped her car for her. Um, she was so thankful, though. And then you say, oh, so she was hot, huh? And then he'll say, I never said that. You're exaggerating. I don't know where you come up with this crap. And you're looking at him like, no, you literally just said that five minutes ago. And they're like, no, I did not. All I said was that she's a nice lady and I helped her. Besides, she's married. And you're looking at them like, uh-huh. Um, they make you question your own reality. So, you know, they might tell you what a great memory you have. But again, when you mention something they said or did that hurt you, suddenly you have the worst memory in the on the planet. And maybe you should see a doctor and get your head scanned. Maybe something's going on with your brain because I swear I never said or did that, you know. Um, they start making you question your own reality to the point where you start thinking, am I paranoid? Am I delusional? Am I, am I not socially um, acceptable in what I say and do? Like... Am I demanding too much out of this person? Am I really being clingy? Like, I don't know. And you start to really question yourself and lose all your confidence. They blame you when they cheat on you. So sometimes there's no argument at all. They just start cheating on you. And when you find out, they deny it. And then when you give them irrefutable proof, they still deny it. And then if you keep pushing, finally they'll say something like, well, you weren't having sex with me, so I had to have it with someone. What am I supposed to do? Just die? After they've cut you off from sex, right? And you've tried, but it's been awkward. So you kind of stop pushing and think, maybe if I just, you know, hang back a little bit, he'll come back around. I don't know. And no, he pushed you away because he's doing it with somebody else. Um, but it's your fault somehow. Or you get in an argument and the next morning... Uh, he says, don't you think we should work this out? And you're like, yeah, yeah, we should work this out. And then next thing you know, he's having an affair. And you say, why are you having an affair? Why, why did you do that? Well, because we got in a fight and you were going to leave me. That's what they'll focus on. It's your fault somehow. Um, they cope with arguments with you by starting affairs. They're not going to sit down and talk to you about it. Because that would mean they would have to be accountable for their part. And they can't have that. So they're going to go start affairs. Usually with coworkers. That's the easiest target they can find as a coworker. And they'll tell that, they'll tell that coworker that um, the two of you are not together anymore. That um, it's over. And the coworker uh, is, is their number one. And then when the coworker starts realizing that chick's going nowhere, I'm like a side chick. This is bullshit. I'm done. Then they're heartbroken. Oh no, please wait for me. I love you. Oh. They blame you uh, for everything. So um, gaslighting, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. They can do it in behaviors as well. They can flirt with somebody blatantly in front of you. And then when you, when you look upset, they'll say, what's wrong? what's wrong? Why do you look so upset? What's going on? And you could say, well, you were really flirty with that person. And, and he'll, they'll tell you, no, I wasn't. You're exaggerating. I was just being polite. Like, God, you're insecure. So gaslighting, 
they are all experts at everything too. They know everything. Oh my God. No matter what you went to college for, no matter what trade school you got your experience from, no matter what your career is, they know more about it than you do. They know more about politics than you. They know more about gardening than you. They know more about everything than you because they are the expert. So if you're teaching, especially if, if you have kids and, and you get involved with a narcissist, you could be teaching your kid how to ride a bike, how to swim, how to ride a skateboard, how to plant a plant in the garden. And the whole time that you're sitting with your child saying, okay, so let me give you instructions on how to do this. And I'm right here if you need me. The whole time you're talking, the narcissist is hovering over you, talk over talking you with a loud, obnoxious voice. If you're trying to teach your child how to swim, you could be in the pool with your child holding their waist and saying, okay, go ahead and straighten out your body and you're going you're gonna to pull your arms up and out of the water while you're kicking your feet a little bit and that's going to help. And the narcissist will be standing there going, kick your legs, you have to kick your legs, kick your legs. Yeah, yeah, you need to kick your legs and you need to keep your head above water, but your head can go underwater. Turn your head side to side and alternate those arms. And just talking over you to the point where you and the child both will be like, I'm done with this activity. Let's just stop until this person's not around. Teaching your child how to ride a bike. This person's going to be out there. Oh, I've taught several children how to ride bikes. I've taught like 50 different children how to ride bikes. And I'm telling you the way, the right way to teach this kid right in front of your kid and your kid's looking at you with eyes like, help me. <laughs> and you finally, you and your child decide, okay, let's put the bike away and wait till they're gone. And they are experts on how you should discipline your children. Even the people who only had their kids every other weekend on visitation. Oh, they're experts on raising children. And, um, uh, They'll even throw in a little triangulation there. They'll say, oh, I can't believe you let your child get away with that. My ex would never let her kids get away with that. I can't believe you don't discipline your daughter. You know, I I coached kids my whole life and, and I was a teacher my whole life or I was this or I was that and I know how kids blah, blah, blah. And you're just standing there like, shut up, did I ask? I didn't ask for your opinion, would you shut up? So... They'll try to tell you how to raise your kids. They'll try to tell you how to do your job. They'll, uh, you know, I've had narcissists look at me and say, well, you're a therapist. You should know this, this, and that. You're a therapist. So you would definitely think this, this, or that, correct? And I look at them and I just smirk and stare at them and I think, oh my gosh, you're such a narcissist. And I just kind of look at them and, I say, well, I do have my own thoughts on that. And they'll say, so jazz. And the reason they'll do that is because they want me to give a clinical impression of whatever it is they're talking about so that they, in turn, can go and use that information as if it's their own thought with somebody else. And it it's happened before, and I find that amusing and pathetic. Or if you're a mechanic, they might ask you, um, well, how, how how do you plan on fixing this? this rattle in my engine. And as a mechanic, you might say, well, we're going to have to look at this, this, and that, and, um, figure out which, which of the problems actually exist. 
And, you know, if it's this, it's something small. If it's this, it's, it's a little bigger. Might have to replace some big parts. And, and the narcissist says, well, I happen to know that when you hear a rattle like that, it's just a radiator. So, yeah. And you might say, well, no, uh, it could, could possibly be the radiator, but it's, it's more, more likely it's something else. And they will go and tell the next mechanic that they go to, uh, I happen to know exactly what's wrong with my car. It's, it's this, this, or this. And the last mechanic quoted me uh, $50. (laughs) So they'll use that information to try to sound like an expert. If you are the jump roping champion of the world and you're, I know they probably don't do jump roping at the Olympics. I don't watch the Olympics. I don't care about it. But it, you're in the Olympics and you're representing your country jump roping. And he's going to tell you the correct way to jump rope, even if he's never jumped rope in his life. And, uh, yeah, they are experts on every little thing. So they'll overtalk you. They one-up you as well. So if you say... Oh, I went on a little hike today. It was nice. I was in Sonora, California, and I went on a nice little hike over there, and it was really nice. I'm a little sore. I hiked about six miles, uh, but it was really fun. And then he'll say, oh, yeah, well, I've hiked up to the top of Mount Everest and back in one day, and I wasn't even sore. Oh, my dog agrees. I wasn't even sore. It was actually quite nice. Uh, You must be out of shape. So let's talk a little more. Let's actually stop this episode for now. I'm going to jump into episode two because I do have a lot of information to share with you and we need to get to the DBT tools. So we'll take a break. This is part one. Part two is coming. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, part two. So we left off on how they are experts on everything. And the next trait is triangulation, the next tactic they use. Triangulation. Um, They'll say things to you such as the example I gave earlier. My ex would never let her kids get away with that. You don't discipline your kids. So they're comparing you to their ex in a negative way this time. During the love bombing phase, they'll compare you to their ex, uh, making you the angel, the perfect person on the pedestal. And then once they start getting into the devaluing phase, they'll switch it up and do it in a negative way. Um, They'll invite their ex to every event you go to. And uh, when you say you're uncomfortable with that, They'll tell you you're crazy, that that's normal, and everybody does it. And um, they'll say, I don't know why every girlfriend I have has an issue with this. Well, ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Um, They'll urge you to get your child a pet, and then they'll complain that they've been deathly allergic to pets their whole lives after you get the pet. Um, 
They'll help you do dishes. And when you say thank you, that's so sweet for helping me. Did you used to help your mom in the kitchen too? They'll say something like, oh no, my mother was an excellent housekeeper. And these are passive aggressive jabs. And they're also triangulations and trying to make you feel like you're not as good as his mother, which in turn manipulates you to try to step it up and do more. And having the ex around and involved in everything, uh, that's their way of trying to make you feel like insecure. Maybe they value the ex more than you. Why do they invite this person to every little thing? Doesn't make sense to you. You don't feel like you're the number one anymore. And you're made to either deal with it and accept it or deal with it and accept it because they're not going to honor your feelings and they'll tell you you're wrong for feeling that way and then they'll start comparing you negatively more and more to their ex they will try to pit you against your own child by going as far as blaming their messes or uh, they leave food out and it goes bad they'll say oh that was your kid it wasn't me And they'll complain to you about your child constantly that your child said or did this or that or whatever. And they'll try to pit you against your child. They'll try to pit you against their ex and compete to be better. They'll try to pit you against uh, all kinds of people. And then they'll have, uh, of course, their flying monkeys who they triangulate you with um, so that the flying monkeys can also invalidate you tell you that you're crazy because that doesn't even sound like him he has the biggest heart and I just can't believe he would say something like that I've never heard him talk to anyone that way and at the same time these flying monkeys have never met one of his girlfriends before (laughs) you're the first one so um, he has his outer circle completely convinced that he is the most charming intelligent wonderful knows all these celebrities and politicians and the mayor and he's an expert on everything and you're just this crazy little girl he feels sorry for and he's just doing you a big favor um (laughs) so that's that's kind of the attitude the flying monkeys are going to have towards you Um, whether you're male or female they're going to say oh you're lucky to have this person this person's the greatest person ever and you're lucky to have this person and what you're saying doesn't even sound like that person so I just really kind of don't believe you Um, and they try to pit you against your child because you love your child more than anything and you put your child first so if they can complain enough about your child and get you to put your child last and put them back in the position of first that's kind of what they're going for Um, they have what I call, what a lot of people call, shady-ass behaviors. So they have PIN codes, they have passwords on all of their devices. All of their activity on those devices is top secret. You are locked out of their electronic world. They keep you away from their co-workers because that's that's where they enlist new sources of supply. So they, they don't want you in there messing that up. And showing the co-workers, oh, I'm in a relationship. They want that to be a vague subject. They lie to you all the time about small things, about big things. They blatantly flirt with others in front of you, then call you insecure. They hang out with their exes. But don't you dare, don't you dare, don't even speak with your ex. Even if it's about 
um, scheduling visitation for the kids. Don't you dare, because that's not allowed. But they're allowed to go camping with their ex, go on vacations with their ex. They're allowed to do whatever they want, but not you. Um, They get prescriptions for Viagra. And if they find out you've been counting them because you're suspicious, why do you have that that prescription when we're not having sex? Then they flip out on you. They blow up. They completely lose their mind when you tell them, I've been counting those and you've taken 40 of them in a month, but you haven't touched me. So like, what are you doing? Then they take that bottle and they hide it. They hide it so you can't count them anymore. Um, They will take opposite sex co-workers to lunch during their work day they'll take them to outings off their work days like on weekends they'll take them to outings to meet their family and like go eat something or go have a beer or go have some wine whatever and nobody will say a word to you about it it's a secret they have passive aggressive helplessness They really like to have everything done for them as though they are the king or the queen of the world. They'll say things very manipulatively like, I really want this or that done, but it looks like it's never going to happen. I really want to paint the house, but it just looks like it's never going to happen. Oh, I really want to remodel that bathroom, but it just looks like it's probably never going to happen. And... You're over there like, why don't you get up and make it happen? You know what's wrong with that? They're waiting for you to jump up and do it for them. And then when you jump up and do it for them, they'll stand back and because they're the expert on everything, right? So they'll stand back and bark orders at you and question your every move. Are you sure you're doing that right? Do you know what you're doing? Shouldn't you put something on the floor? Shouldn't you? Oh, la, 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 la. And you're over there like, I've read the directions. I've watched several videos. I think I can handle it. Um, And then once you get it all done, they'll call everybody they know and say, we redecorated the bathroom. We painted the house. Um, Yeah. They'll take the credit. Um, They take the credit for everything good. They take the credit for your intelligence, your talents, and everything that you do. Um, You know, they'll sit back and say, oh, I sure do wish I could buy my ex's kids a gift for graduation. And I don't have any money. And then they say it a whole bunch of times. So it's like somebody poking you going, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then finally you're like, okay, okay, God, just stop. So you buy a gift and you say here, and he takes it to his ex and gives it to his ex's child, who's not his child, by the way. And you know what he says? I bought this for you because I knew you would love it. And then he'll come back and tell you, oh, everybody was asking about you. They wanted to know why you weren't there. They said, thank you so much for the gifts. Um, It's always we. And if it's not we, it's I. They'll even come home with projects from their work. And they've already told their, their bosses or coworkers that you would be more than happy to do this because you love this kind of thing. And they'll come home and give you projects to do, like doing their job for them. Then they go to work and they tell everybody they did it. Um, They'll ask you to do their taxes for them. They will um, 
if you're a hairstylist, they'll tell their their children, their grown children, or their friends that you would be more than happy to give them a haircut. And no, no, you don't have to pay. Like, she is so sweet, or he is so sweet, they'll do the haircut for you if you come over. And then they come and tell you, so-and-so's coming by, uh, they need a haircut. <laughs> and the first time you do it and nobody pays you, you think, that's messed up, I'm working on my time off. Like, no. So after that, you say no, and then they get mad at you because now they can't uh, pimp out your services for free and feel like a generous, kind person off of your talents. So whatever your talent is, if you're a cook, if you're a, if you work in a salon, if you do taxes, whatever it is, they will um, offer your services for free to their friends and family, and they'll throw a fit if you don't comply. So can a narcissist change? Can they go to therapy and really benefit from it and change? Uh, my answer is no. I have only, in, in my whole career, I've only seen one person who was narcissistic and not full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, but on the high end of the continuum of narcissism, I've only seen one person improve. And those improvements really did not knock out the narcissism but I think honestly it helped the narcissist to manipulate others better because I was trying to teach empathy so they learned how to mimic empathy I was trying to teach them to validate people um, and they can memorize they can mimic and they're good at it they're chameleons so honestly I think it helped that person to just manipulate others better so they didn't appear to be a narcissist um, narcissists only go to therapy for just a few reasons. So reason number one, in my experience, is the spouse is going to leave them because they're sick of being abused and they found out the narcissist was cheating. So the narcissist will say, okay, I'll go to therapy. Um, or they're court mandated. They got caught doing something and to avoid jail time, the judge says you have to do therapy and they say, okay, I'll go. So they'll come in and go through the motions, they'll memorize the material, and they'll pretend like they're using it, and then they'll get done and have you sign off, and then they're gone. And another reason, and this is a rare one, they might realize what they are, and they might truly want to make some changes. Um, It's usually sparked by being caught cheating or other relationship fallouts, and... um, Maybe it was one that was very significant to them that they really that really mattered to them on some level, and uh, they want to manipulate their way back. That's usually the case. Um, what's frustrating working with narcissists as a therapist is um, just just the same way they are with you. They have to be the smartest person in the room. They want to uh, give the impression to the therapist that they are five steps ahead of you at all times. They usually tell therapists that any therapist they've ever seen in the past was incompetent and useless. Um, They engage in several therapy interrupting behaviors, whether they're going alone or as a couple, such as over-talking, declining therapy tools that are offered, and schooling the therapist on interventions that they found uh, like on Google or YouTube. And they memorize the tools and mimic healing. 
uh, to convince the spouse that they've changed and manipulate further. And narcissistic people will make you initially feel like you are the king or the queen of the world. You are everything and everything is you. And you're on this pedestal. They put you up on this pedestal so high and they worship you. They worship you like you've never seen anybody worship somebody before. And every single aspect of it feels so good. It's like a lifetime Hallmark movie or a fairy tale. And you've always kind of daydreamed about how cool it would be to have that kind of relationship. And now you have it. And that's how they suck you in because it feels so good. It hits all those reward centers. And you're like, this is it. This is the one. And they take you from being king or queen of the world to persona non grata, persona non grata. You are now invisible. You are no longer welcome. You are no longer considered. You are trash under their feet. When the chase is over and they start to devalue you, they'll pick fights for apparently no reason. They'll play the gotcha game. They'll say something passive aggressive and wait for you to respond. They know which buttons to push with you. They know what your triggers are. They've studied you intently. They know because you've opened up and shared with them. They know your deepest fears. They know your deepest insecurities. So they start making little jabs at little things to get you to explode. And then they can say, you're crazy. I always knew you were going to leave me. And, and, uh, that's also a borderline personality trait as well borderline personality disorder um they do the same thing it's a push-pull like they'll they'll bait you into an argument and then when you say that's it I can't do this anymore they'll say I knew you never loved me I knew you were going to abandon me ah and then it's all your fault so after the beat down you become invisible as if you don't exist That's when they're ignoring your text messages and phone calls. That's when you can be sitting right next to them, speaking to them, and they will stare at their phone and completely ignore you and not acknowledge that you're even alive. You can be at the store with them and hold up a package of licorice and say, I think I'm going to get this licorice, and they'll walk away from you. And you say, where are you going? Well, you said you wanted licorice. And you're like, but I'm holding it in my hand right now. (laughs) They'll do little things like that to get under your skin and get you to respond. So now that you know a little more about narcissism, you may have already known all of this, but um, now that you know a little more about it, how does that affect us? So you might be diagnosed as bipolar. You might be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. You might be diagnosed with PTSD. You might be diagnosed with depression as a result of dealing with somebody like that. Because not only is it emotional abuse, but it really deteriorates your self-esteem, your confidence, your self-worth, your ability to be assertive, your ability to be compassionate towards yourself. It really tears most of your persona away. It rips it, it shreds it, and now you are a walking, opened wound who is festering And you'll start to demonstrate, you'll start to exhibit the same traits as somebody who's bipolar or somebody who has borderline personality disorder. Um, You may have PTSD. 
and and now you're out of space in your in your relationship with this toxic person that you're trauma bonded to them because they have beaten you down and lifted you up and beaten you down and lifted you up so many times that you're trauma bonded to them and when you're trauma bonded it's like an addiction it's no different than a heroin addiction or something it's really difficult to stop it's really difficult to turn those thoughts off it's really difficult to function normally and honestly if you have really been beaten down by a narcissistic person it can take you about a year to really build yourself back up to normal as you go through this these PTSD symptoms these depression symptoms Um, the push-pull of the borderline personality disorder where you're sabotaging yourself and all you want is love and you're terrified of being abandoned but at the same time you're not going to get hurt again like that so there's there's a lot going on a lot of healing to take place this is where dbt comes in so whether or not you have borderline personality disorder bipolar disorder or if this is the result of an abusive relationship and now you're trying to heal from that and you have all of these symptoms Uh, you may have been misdiagnosed or maybe you're not diagnosed but you have all of these symptoms and it's really difficult dbt can help you get through that trauma bonding it can help you to break it it can help you to find yourself again and let your light shine again and branch out into the world and learn to trust again. So DBT is good for all of those things. So I just wanted to tie those together for you and stay tuned for the next DBT episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, if you have questions and you want to learn more about any specific topic, let me know. Thank you for listening to your therapy tools.